Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Scrubbed In Show. I hope you've all been keeping well. This week, by popular demand, I'd say we have with us Edward Keelan, who is a principal investor at Octopus Ventures, which is a large and leading venture in Europe with a lot of investments. But you recently allowed us to share one of your articles on your journey into VC, and it just did super, super well. So we thought we had to bring you on to share that journey, pick your brains a bit more. So it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show, Edward. How are you? Yeah, good. Thank you very much for having me. It's a, it's a, a pleasure to be here, and I hope I can uh, say, some, say something of interest at least. No, of course. I know you wrote in your article you wanted to be like a, a professional sports driver or a rock star. Unfortunately, you know, we, we're, we're doing this as an investment manager, as a principal investor. But um, we really want to take it back to the beginning of your career, you know, what did you start off with? What were your motivations? Um, and if you don't mind bringing us to present day. Yeah, I mean, that's quite, a, it's probably quite a long story. I, I mean, I, my parents were entrepreneurs, so I always loved small business. And I, I was brought up, you know, my mum and dad both owned sort of two, two small businesses, uh, one in financial services, one in kind of clothing manufacturing. So com- just completely random uh, sectors and so that was just that was just my life my you know it was, was seeing how you build businesses and so when I sort of graduated from university and decided to work for Rolls-Royce I think it's like my parents were really disappointed in me they were like well you're not oh, gonna wow. start your own business you're not gonna become an entrepreneur like us I was like no I'm gonna go down the um you know gonna go down the traditional route um and after about nine months of, of working in a big blue chip I realized that it was it was just definitely not for me um so I lasted nine months and then I joined oh, wow. the staff and then I joined the staff uh, and I was like okay yeah, I, the startup world makes sense to me this is uh, you know from day one I can be active day one I can get involved and, and I loved it you know it was a roller coaster of a sort of four years I was in that startup and then um yeah one of my good good friend of mine um sort of said to me you know I, I'm quite interested in venture capital and I had never even heard of it I was like well you know what's venture capital and he explained it to me and straight away I think because walking down the south bank in London yeah I remember from the moment I was like that's what I want to do that that there is what I want to do um yeah. the only problem was is that I had uh, none of the you know qualifications or kind of usual background to getting into venture capital um and, and to be quite honest I didn't even know what one of the usual backgrounds or qualifications were yeah it's a VC either um, no. so I was, that, that was a, a difficult place to start just kind of unpicking that story what was it like as a child growing up when both of your parents were entrepreneurs because as entrepreneurs ourselves are trying to kind of dabble in this world obviously we just had kids recently right so both me and Anne did you feel they were present or like you know there's always that concern of parents not being there while they're grafting away building this company building this you know this startup you know kids normally be like hey you know what I want to do something completely different and go down the kind of career route. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's you know, my dad probably was away a lot in the in my early years. I mean, so, I mean, I, the, the truth is, is that, can you remember anything before the age of about 10? True. Like, <laughs> no, I don't think you really can, can you? It's like, my, you know, the stories are that my dad was away a lot, but I'm really close to my dad, and I don't remember him being away a lot. Okay, nice. Um, you know, so... Yeah, and, and I know he worked extremely hard. And, and really, it was when I started sort of secondary school that my mum started her business. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she worked from home and, and did a lot of that. So I was just in amongst it. And then my dad was around more 
you know, hmm. A-level business studies projects. I did it on my dad's company. You know, oh, I wow. would do the, my mum was in clothing manufacturer. I'd do the stock check in the garage with her, you know. So <laughs> I, I'll be honest, I, I couldn't understand why anybody wouldn't want to be an entrepreneur because, yeah. you know, that's all I really knew. I didn't know, I didn't realize people went and worked for people. That sounded like a terrible idea. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my, that's what, that's what I knew. So it was sort of in my DNA. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about, so your time at Rolls-Royce, right? And what was it that didn't fit with your innate nature? What was it that said, this is not me? Um, no, I don't want to say, so I'd be careful here. So first of all, I don't want to slag off Rolls-Royce. I've still got yeah, friends there, they've got great <laughs> yeah. careers. And, and for them, love it, and, and it's great. For me, it just didn't, it didn't work. I mean, I was, uh, as well as an example, you know, I remember um, I was sat at, my desk and then one day i get an email saying like the managing director of the area that i was working for is going to come around um on wednesday and you know can you make sure you everyone should be wearing a tie because this this managing director is coming around and, you know from somebody who'd seen their parents build businesses and and, mm. and actually you know on my work placement year I'd, I'd worked in a small company a small organization as well i just thought this was really weird i was like well if you're the managing director you should be walking around every day yeah you should know exactly what's going on you know, you shouldn't be, you shouldn't expect people to change for you. You should, you should want to know what people are doing. And it just, the mentality of that large corporate, you know, the politics just didn't sit with me at all. I couldn't, mm. I couldn't see how, I, how long it was going to take me to truly add value and be part of the real story of what was going on. Um, and so I quickly realized that like, this just, this just isn't for me. Um, and again, you know, I've still got friends that are still there oh, 20 years later now and, oh, wow. and uh, you know, doing really well for themselves. So probably a mistake, but, um, you know, for me, it was, it definitely wasn't, it wasn't. Hmm. Tell us how life was, you know, you at Rolls-Royce realized pretty soon that it's not for you. You didn't fit kind of your innate personality, went to the startup for four years and then kind of the world of finance VC. Tell us what it felt like after you got into the world of VC. Did it live up to what you thought it would be? Was it kind of a, a sigh of fresh air? And hey, do you know what I can see you doing this forever type thing? Yeah, I mean, so my path into VC is not is, is not that easy. It wasn't startup into VC because mm. you know the one thing that you'll you'll find out is that it's not linear. Like people no. don't. It's, it, I mean, some people do, but it, it's quite unusual just for people just to take one big hop into VC. And, and weirdly, as medical professionals, you you kind of have a bit of an advantage because if you're going to go into health tech then you know what at least you've got you've got expertise in that field but i really hmm. left what i was doing with no expertise in any field um other than a passion for small business so hmm. you, 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 people probably listening to this podcast have got to jump on me already from where <laughs> i was um, so when i what actually happened is, is um i joined a startup that was moderately successful it was kind of going well um and but i wanted to leave i wanted to do something else because i wanted to get into to, to vc and my friend was working at Octopus um, and sort of saying, well, what, what roles are at Octopus? Because I knew Octopus did early stage investing. And at the time, this was 15 years ago, Octopus was much, much smaller. So you're talking about less than 100 people compared to oh, wow. the, you know, Goliath that is today. Um, and they said, well, you could do fundraising. Um, you know, so like literally on the phones selling, you know, and, and, and or raising capital. So I went. I always had the mentality is that just get onto the right ladder, you know, get mm. to the, get onto the right. Maybe you need to, I mean, I was having in this startup, I was having conversations with directors of FTSE 250 companies. I was you know, oh, wow. at a very young age doing quite senior things. And then all of a sudden I was, I was taking a big diagonal step downwards, but getting onto the right ladder, getting into the right organization. And I knew mm. then that I'd work hard, 
you know, and, and that's what I did. I worked super hard and, and tried to show that I was somebody that was a bit innovative and could and, and could think, but mainly was just somebody that would work really hard. Um, and then hopefully take the opportunities when they come. Um, and, and it took a long, long time. So, you know, it was, it was sort of two years of fundraising and, and within Octopus before I kind of got my first break. And that was actually not in VC. Um, that mm. was more in kind of private equity type infrastructure investing. Um, and for a long time at Octopus, I actually did energy investing. It wasn't necessarily what I wanted to do. It was just where mm. the where the opportunity was. Mm. Exciting market, really interesting. Um, and then it was probably about eight years ago, I was like, somehow I've become an energy investor. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'm not that, it, was ne it was never my intention. I always like working with founders and small yeah. companies. That's what I really wanted to do. Um, and again, I, I, I took a fairly senior role on the energy side of investing, um, went diagonally downwards again and, and restarted my kind of investment career as a, in, in more of a VC role. So, mm -hmm. you know, my career is kind of littered with, with steps downwards into, onto ladders that I knew that I'd want to climb that would get me closer and closer to the end goal, which was to where I am today, which is, you know, um, being an investor in what I, I would consider one of the best VC firms in the world. Um, and, but as I said, it's, it's not been a, it's not been a very direct route. It's been one of, 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 you know, less money at times, harder hours, greater yeah. sacrifice, more, more jobs that you don't necessarily want to do, um, to get onto the right path. And, um, you know, that's always something that I, I would strongly advocate for people looking to enter it. Mm -hmm. Um, in terms of the job itself, you know, it's, there's no doubt about it. It's a, it's a, it is a fantastic job. Um, you know, I, I, I love what I do. I love talking to entrepreneurs. Um, I love, um, working with, you know, seeing lots and lots of different businesses, you know, you become an, I've just, um, you know, come off a, uh, board meeting with a music rights company, which is super interesting. It's so diverse, you know, who else gets to work in so many different industries and every day that I'll get a new pitch deck for a new, new sector, a new business. So I focus specifically on B2B software. Um, and SaaS in particular mm -hmm. um, at the growth stage, but within that there is you know there's lots and lots going on. So in that aspect, you know I love it. Uh, you know, in, entrepreneurs are generally passionate people, enthusiastic, optimistic people, and who doesn't want to be around enthusiastic, optimistic people as their career? Um, the downside is is it's it can be stressful. I mean, it doesn't mm. always go right. You know, sometimes deals fall over after you've worked a long time on them. Sometimes companies that you thought were going to be great turn out not to be. Sometimes you lose investors' money. And, um, you know, I've had plenty of sleepless nights over the fact that I've lost investors' money. Oh, wow. And therefore, you, you, you know, you do need to be somebody who's, um, you know, can take that. I mean, I, I would say probably healthcare professionals, you know, have a similar thing. I mean, you guys yeah. are, you know, decisions you make are, are even more important as life. It's people's lives and uh, that you've got in the hand. So you're, you, you're used to doing occupations whereby the decisions you make Mm. can have massive yeah. repercussions and more so than, than than this job so it probably sets you quite well up for being a vc in some respects yeah <laughs> but having that um having that level of pressure for it not to go wrong is is it can be it can be quite daunting at times um, yeah. and and often you have to have difficult conversations with entrepreneurs and say hey guys i'm you know really sorry i know this is your dream but we're not going to back it and yeah you know, I, I like to say yes to everybody so that 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 can be difficult yeah, so no, off the back of that question, I was going to ask you is obviously as a VC, as founders, you don't realize how many pitch decks and how many companies are kind of pitching to these VCs. You probably see hundreds. When founders get that rejection that no, 
any advice on how they can deal with it from a mindset point of view or what can they do because it does get disheartening it does get you know exhausting when you get rejections after rejections what have you noticed kind of or advice would you give to those founders tenacity and perseverance Uh, you can uh there's not much more you can say really it 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 is really hard you know as 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 entrepreneurs it's it's really difficult um you know my claim to fame uh, which i probably shouldn't admit on a podcast this is terrible but i thought octopus energy was a terrible idea (laughs) (laughs) you know like you get things wrong yeah get things really really wrong um and i you know i'm asked a lot for advice uh, as well from founders not necessarily for investment just you know what do you think about pitch deck sort of questions i always try and be brutally honest but it doesn't mean to say that i'm going to be right ultimately things started and it's just opinion and you, you you've got to recognize that people have got to um you've got to take that on board that it is just one person's opinion um and i also think that you know different investors vcs are not kind of homogenous groups you know there's lots of different types of vcs lots of different sector specialists lots of different stage specialists and so you might come mm-hmm. to me with a hey i've got a radio show ad or a b2b software investor yeah and an investor radio station so i'm going to say no not because you guys aren't great but because it's not what I invest in, you know, I, I invest in B2B software companies that are mm. a million, two million pounds worth R plus. And so if you don't fit into that mantra straight yeah. away from, from day one, so you have to, as, um, as entrepreneurs recognize that um, yeah. as well, but it's That's like, there's no doubt it's, it's hard. You're going to get an awful lot more no's than you are. Yes. Yeah, no, absolutely. Edward, a question on now. So when you get inbound emails, pitch decks, all these requests sent, What's your typical flow like? What's the flow of when a founder sends off that email? What are the things that happens behind the scene on your side? Uh, it's a good question. So very, it's, it's, it's worth noting that actually very few cold emails get kind of traction. You know? I knew it. I told you, Adam, so I knew it. <laughs> uh, you know, that's the, that, because, you know, a VC like Octopus will get, you know, multiples of thousands worth of pitch decks every year. And, you know, so... And this, here's a good stat for you. I mean, how long do you think is the average time a, a VC will spend on a slide in a pitch deck? A few minutes. Less than a minute. It's about 13 seconds. It's about 13 wow. seconds a slide. No way. Yeah, because <laughs> you've, you've got that many pitch decks to go through. And that's not me making it up. There's some, there is a study somewhere that I can yeah. find for you. That shows it. I'd like to say that I spend a lot longer, by the way, on slides, but that is the average VC. And so you're going to have to make them really, really quickly. Mm. Um, it's not to say that we've never done a cold, you know, that we've never received a cold pitch deck and not done that investment. That mm. that would be that that's not true. Uh, we often have, and we've done we've done multiple of them. But it is it is quite hard. So if you have a link in, mm. you know the truth is, if you guys came to me and said, "Hey, go, Ed, we know this great health tech B two B software company you might want to look at," you know, I'm going to spend more than a few seconds yeah. on your slide because I, I know you and and I know that you've, you've you've put it to me and to ask me to take a look. So I'm going to spend more time on it because mm. I've got a warm introduction. So, um, for me personally as well, I mean, because I'm a B2B software investor and I'm at that stage where I need certain amounts of ARR, certain characteristics, I can quickly figure out whether it's something I want to look at or not. Yeah. Mm. Um, I have to say, for, for my colleagues that are in the earlier stage teams, like the health tech team and deep tech team. I just no idea how they make decisions. I generally don't. I mean, they are, they're, they're a lot smarter than I am. Um, yeah, they're a lot more insightful than I am because they are, you know, they, they know what good looks like very, yeah. very quickly. Mm. And, and, and they're actually probably more focused 
on thematic things where they're looking for specific types of businesses that they believe are going to do really, really well. Um, whereas I'm, I say, more on the analytical side of the numbers mm. and, and looking for things that, that fit my investment mandate. Mm. Um, so yeah, the, when the pitch decks come in, if it's warm, I'll pass it on to the relevant team. If it's one that's good for me, I'll look at it myself and, and, and come back. Um, if I think it's an opportunity we really should push forward with, I'll probably ask some clarification questions and then I'll pass it on to one of my colleagues and say, Hey, I like, I like this business. Mm. Um, you know, can you take a closer look? You'll have an introductory call, ask a few more questions, you know, sign an NDA, probably maybe you don't get that many NDAs, yeah. in VC. um, and then get the financials and, 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 and then progress from there. And then it, it's kind of a, it's a bit of a courtship between sort of the first contact through to the term sheet and mm. that can take anything from couple of weeks through to you know years in fact oh, wow. yeah <laughs> you know in some cases there's a bit of a courtship that goes on it's, you know, it's much like relationships <laughs> and uh, and then from the point of term sheet it usually runs fairly quickly through a process of about eight weeks of doing due diligence and yeah it can run quicker it can run slower but it, it's it's much more kind of a couple of two to three months once you've got the term sheet but that first part it just all depends yeah and in that so i want to talk a little bit about the first meeting so a few investors uh loads of investors will take that first meeting with a lot of people what advice do you have for that first meeting because it's usually 30 minutes maybe they've looked at the deck maybe they haven't right what advice can you give from your experience that founders should be doing this in the first meeting or what do you like yeah i think there's the it... I hope I wouldn't take a meeting rambler to someone's deck. I mean, that's pretty rude. Yeah. I, mean, I hope nobody at Optimus would look at, would take it, would, would take offense. Because it's the honest truth. It's both of our time. You know, being a founder is really tough. And the last thing you want is somebody time wasting because they're just trying to fill in a bit of their diary. I don't know many, mm. certainly not at Optimus. I wouldn't think that people would they'd have at least the respect to look at. And hopefully they would have asked to even, you know, sent over a few questions beforehand so that you'd have a framework to, to work from. In terms of, for me, it's, it's, you know, I want to know very quickly what the problem is you're addressing and, and why your solution is going to work and why it can scale, you know, mm. because ultimately that they're, they're, they're the really important questions. I, I hear, I see a lot of pitch decks where you'll, you'll have a half an hour meeting and 20 minutes will be spent talking to me about the problem. And then, you know, five minutes about why no one else is doing it right. And then yeah. five minutes at the end of why you can do it better. And, and it's <laughs> like, no, no, I want, you need to explain the problem in the first minute to get mm. my attention. <laughs> And in the next five minutes, you need to tell me what you can do and, and why you're going to address it. And then let's move on to all of the other stuff. So, you know, I pay particular attention to things like unit economics, um, go to market strategy, you know, solid market sizing, so that you know that there's the opportunity there. And I also want to get a feel for the management. Is this, are these people I can work with? Mm. You know, are they confident enough that they can promote their business and they're going to, they're also going to build the confidence of those people around them? But are they humble enough that they're going to take advice and they're not dogmatic? Mm. Because almost every business success has shown pivots. You know, yeah. every, and, and what you don't want is a really dogmatic founder that's like, this is what I'm doing and this is why I'm right and this is all that I'm ever going to do. You want somebody you think, well, actually, no, they, they will pivot, they can turn. Um, and so, yeah, in that first meeting, very quickly highlight your problem, very quickly address your solution, and then come to me with proper unit economics. Um, and, uh, that's, prob that's probably the best advice I could give for a, a half an hour meeting. You want to get the person, you want to get the people excited. Yeah. And I think you know. that, that's good advice. You've talked a lot about kind of the pitch deck, the non-exec meetings. I know our listeners would want to know is 
what does the day-to-day or average week look like? You know, there's always this kind of VC, money, fancy meetings, client dinners, all the cool and wonderful stuff. I know it's more to, the, than that. What was like last week for you? What were you doing on the Monday to Tuesday? Kind of work us through it. Tenerife on holiday. Oh, that's pretty good. Okay, all right, guys. VCs are like that. Tell us. (laughs) So tell us what average week looks like for you. Yeah, no, it's a great question. And, and I think one of the beauties of VC is that there is no average week. Fine. You know, mm-hmm. There is no truly average week. You know, you can break the job down into sort of into different parts. So the start of it is origination, mm-hmm. um, you know, finding good deal flow. And you know what people, depending on what stage you're at and depending on what your reputation is, you might get a lot of inbound stuff. But actually good origination and the best deals that you find, you have to actually actively burn some shoe leather and Okay. Talk to advisors, talk to people in the industry, talk to non-executive directors, go to events, talk to other VCs. And that takes up quite a lot of your time, you know. Um, what I would say is, you know, through my my career is there is no doubt in my mind what makes good investment is good opportunity. Mm-hmm. So you have a pot of, you know, you have an amount of money and you have an amount of things you can invest into. And the best investment happens when the amount of stuff you can invest into is much, is, you know, significantly greater than the amount of money you have. Because ultimately you can, what you don't want to end up is, is you've got a big pot of money and you haven't got enough things to invest into because yeah. you start to convince yourself that these, this stuff is okay, even mm. though when it, you know, so you, you do much better deals. And so that, that, what comes with that is origination, good origination, you know, going out and finding deal flows. So that, that becomes a big part of the role. And then you've got the, the meetings with management, you know, so the, the kind of the courtship phase, if you like. Yeah. You know, do I like them? Do they like me? You know, and if you're a good founder, you're a good startup, you're probably going to have at least two or three term sheets, maybe four or five. Yeah. You know, what's with, you know, we're fortunate. Octopus has got a good brand. You know, we can offer a lot of added value here. We've got our own talent team, you know, so you know, what are things difficult for startups? Finding good talent, mm-hmm. raising money, generating revenue. That's the sort of three pillars that we try and provide here at Octopus as well as the capital. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's a bit of that. Uh, courtship and then you've got negotiation deal execution so here's our terms what do you think of them now you, you think it's just on valuation but it's valuation structure consent rights you know that can take quite a while back and forth and and, and how you negotiate that what's important to you what's important to the company etc then you've got deal execution so even once we've agreed to do the deal by now you've got to actually go ahead and do the diligence you do the financial modeling um do the legal work all that takes you know, say months. Um, and that's, uh, then you'll have a celebratory dinner and you get, uh, you know, have some nice wine or whatever it might be. That's what they were talking about. Those are the fancy dinners. (laughs) That doesn't happen then very often. That's a good And then, um, and then it's portfolio, you know, I do a lot of portfolio management. So I work, you've got a six board, I think six board seats where I'm working with those portfolio companies and trying to, you know, help them, you know, because I've seen if it's if you've got a B2B software investment, I've seen mm. a lot of B2B software companies. Yeah. I know what it looks like. I know what the right KPR, KPIs are. You know, mm. I know how sales team form. I know the, the watch outs because I've seen it through other companies. And so it's trying to impart some of that on those boards and, and help them through that. Um, and that, that takes up quite a lot of time as well. And then you've got the exit process. So at any one time, you might be hopefully exiting a few companies yeah. at great multiples and making some good money. And that takes time. So, um, and then there's all the other stuff around the outside of it, like doing podcasts like this, yeah, and <laughs> writing blogs and, and all that. So you're 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 always really really varied. Yeah, I don't know. Does that give you a, a glimpse of what it's like? I don't know. No, it's good. As in, like, um, definitely depth and variety. And I think the beauty, similar to way in medicine, is 
you get to work with a variety of companies in the same space or sector. It's not just that one company. The, the question is always, what makes kind of VC investors kind of do the investing side of things as to kind of founders? Do you think it's like a mindset thing or, you know, because I recently met a VC who's been doing it for a while, but they, they're not keen to take the plunge yet to kind of do their own, found their own company. Would you not be the best founders? I think founders are amazing people because, and I, and I love founders. So I, I've got a, a massive admiration. My best mate is a, is a founder of multiple companies. And, okay. and, and I just think that there's, there is something about founders that is different. You know, they're willing to take a risk that other people sanely aren't. <laughs> uh, and, and, I, and I think that's all, you know, I do think that's awesome. And I, um, you know, whether it's, I, I've thought about it a few times of being a founder. But probably because I love my job and I love Octopus. And, okay. and I've been, I was going to say, what's yeah. stopping you from doing your own thing? I think if I didn't like my, you know, if I didn't, if I didn't like my job and I didn't like the company, then I would, I would probably mm. have done that. Mm. Um, but I also wonder, yeah, that's the, that's probably the the headline. Yeah. I also wonder whether I just haven't got what it takes to be that risk taker of a founder. You know, that, that I haven't got that switch that says, no, nah, I'm going to be like my parents did. Um, I'm going to do it. And I, and I think, and that's why even when founders fail and, you know, that can be really hard on a founder, but I'm like, yeah, but you took the risk, man. You took, you, yeah. you, you, you went out a go at it. Like how many people have a go at it? So few, so yeah. few are brave enough to, to take that jump. And, um, you know, that's probably why more don't do it. You know, and that's probably why you're asking the question. You're like, why well, doesn't everyone do this? It's like, yeah. cause no everyone's got that thing inside them that makes okay. them do it. Yeah. Now the thought, like, you know, founders, these investors see so many decks, they're seasoned and they know the right things to do at the right time, when to go reach out for money. Uh, but I do guess, you know, there is kind of a clear, distinct preference. Yeah. I mean, we do have at Octopus, we have something called Octopus Springboard, which is mm. quite cool, which is that if you are somebody who works with us and you've decided you want to start your own business and, yep. you know, have three, um, three people do this recently, um, in fact, Tash and um, Lucy have just gone off and done it where they've, they've gone, hey, I, I actually want to go and start my own business. And Octopus will say, well, yeah, go with our blessing. And, and if it doesn't work out, you know, there's a job here back for you nice. in yeah. six months time. And you know what, we're going to give you some money and we're going to give you all the weight of the resources Octopus can to, to make your new business work. And, um, you know, we've had five, six businesses now start up from Springboard, which I think is really cool. I mean, yeah, like, what what company waves a sort of way that's, that's, that's left the business and say and say hey we're going to give you everything you possibly can so there's the opportunity there but you know i like my job and so um i got three kids i'm like you guys i got like young three kids so yeah. it's very very hard to take that that level of responsibility um, uh, absolutely you know it's probably my excuse one day you know. <laughs> saying that right from your side now so sitting on the investor side now what are if you could pick three the three best traits that you see in founders, what would they be? Um, three best traits are, I would say, do I think this person's going to be able to inspire other people to come with them? You know, so, so are they going to be able to build a team around them? Like, are they are they kind of humble enough? Are they inspiring enough? Are they uh, have they got that thing about them that makes that other people want to join them? Because I can, you know, I see it all the time. When that isn't the case, it, it's very hard to scale a business when you when you don't have inspiring founders that, mm. that want to let people want to join um i think somebody that understands them I mean, for me because of where i invest in that growth stage i do want a founder to really understand and own their numbers mm. and, and, and understand what's driving their business what are the core drivers um 
and it's surprising actually how you know a lot of founders turn to the fd when they're when it's like what's the current annual recurring revenues and they're like i don't know and you're like wow you don't know you know cool um and then can they articulate what the problem they're solving for really quickly you know do they understand that problem and then can they articulate it why they're different um and a lot of the time you know you'll find a founder that that started a business because it's something that they would use something that they would want yeah. not necessarily because they understand that there's a problem they're addressing and that's dangerous you know you've got to be careful to try and address the that's a big problem and if if you want a vc-backed company you can have yeah. lots of niche businesses that's great you know but if you want a vc-backed company you need to you need to be able to articulate why the problem is big and not just something that you're interested in absolutely no. and and now the the opposite for the founders who've got a lot of learning and reflection to do what are the red flags that you'd say I'm not engaging with this type of founder. Um, I mean, for me personally, somebody that's, you know, arrogance, rudeness just doesn't, it's not really octopus's culture. Mm. You know, if you, if you come in and you're rude to our receptionist, you won't get investment here because, uh, <laughs> you know, that's just not, yeah. that's not the way we operate. Um, so that's a massive red flag. I think somebody, I get a lot of founders that, that have massively over uh, are optimistic about what they can achieve. Mm. Um, I mean, it's good to be optimistic. You've got to be realistic as well. Yeah. Like you've got to put that amongst boundaries. And, and that's, um, that's a real big red flag for me. If you go, wow, you don't really understand your problem here or what your differentiator is. And you, you somehow think you can scale to a, a 200 million pound recurring revenue business with 60 employees in a mm. field that's hyper competitive in a small, like, so a big red flag to me is just lack of realism. Um, cause ultimately we're investing other people's money yeah yeah take that responsibility very 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 seriously um and we want to know we're going to put it into companies whereby people are going to also have that same level of respect and it's not you know so i think those two things really um but i, I kind of like everyone so it's yeah. pretty, you know, i can tell you're like super nice guy <laughs> and you're like do you know what you need money do you know what i'm going to give it to yeah. you off the back of what you said a lot of founders by nature they're relentless <laughs> They're just, you know, they're driven to make it work. At what point do you think it's like, hey, do you know what, it's not working, let's give up? Because, you know, sometimes they say it's time in the game, you need to be doing it for years on end and it comes your day to shine, right? Any advice in terms of like, when do they need to step back and be like, hey, do you know what, it's not working, we need to pivot or it's time to close shop and do something different? I mean, I think you should, uh, I think you should always be, you know, if things aren't working, you should always be trying different things, looking to pivot, seeing if the market's different, <clears> just... You know, like the 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 world is littered with uh, with successful big tech companies that pivoted five times before they found what worked. And you know, you shouldn't be afraid of doing that. It's the ones that are dogmatic that really that really suffer. I mean, I do think there is something in. um, It's going to sound really pessimistic. It's not meant to, but I do think there is something in the fact that you know you you only ever hear about the success stories of people that have persevered and persevered and it finally. And it's like, but no one ever talks about all those people that persevered and persevered and it didn't come true. Mm. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so, <laughs> That's so sad. Yeah. You know, that, 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 those stories never get told. Um, and I think that there are plenty of them. You know, there are plenty of people that persevered, even though it was never going to work. It was the market wasn't big enough. The model business model wasn't the right one, but they, they just kept going and kept going. And, and sometimes it does come true, but sometimes and a lot of the times, you know, statistics tell us it doesn't. And I think, that's why you need founders that are realistic and, and can see that and, and, and can either adapt and change or just accept that actually this is just, this 
opportunity just isn't big enough. There's not enough people that are going to pay for this. And mm. The unit economics don't make sense. So, you know, we're, we're selling, you know, five pound notes for four quid. This doesn't, this doesn't work, you know? Like, yeah. Um, so, yeah, but it's, a, it's, it, I think that's a very personal journey that, that and each business will be very different. No, definitely. And I just remembered one of the points you mentioned in your article was the, the MBA. So, mm. A lot of doctors, as you can imagine, they're looking for alternative careers. Some go on to start companies of their own. Some go into consultancy. Some go into kind of VC private equity, and then others go into an MBA. So there's kind of a 50-50 divide in terms of the MBA. You know, some people think it's like it's useless. You're managing other managers. Do you really need an MBA to get into the world of VC? Does it help? You know, do you get any bonus points? Uh, to get into the world of VC, probably not. Um, it probably, but the truth is, it doesn't do any harm. I think the thing is that that, that as with always, everyone wants to be black and white about everything. Even yeah, grey, don't they? It's, it's just the way it's. It's like, you know, MBA does not help you get into VC. That's yeah. not necessarily true. Like, yeah. you know, I've hired, you know, uh, two MBAs now that have come from side business school where I did my MBA. So, okay. then it really did work, you know. <laughs> and you know, when we when we put our analyst and associate positions out, it gets sent to to the MBA cohorts and. They get those opportunities to interact with us. They get the opportunity to be on the seed fund at, at side business school. You know, there's loads of good stuff that they that they do. Hmm. I don't think it's a silver bullet. That's that's the yeah. truth. It's not like it, I think historically the journey was do an MBA and like all these VCs will come. Yeah, hmm. but it's certainly not doing you any harm as far as I'm concerned. You know, and it did me a lot of good. I mean, I was already in VC. I yeah. did it because I'm a massive business geek and. <laughs> the idea that i could go to oxford university and study for two years uh and i could do that whilst working um and wow. I, could do it, yeah, I could do it in marketing and economics and finance and i was like why wouldn't you want to do that like, <laughs> no brainer that's because I'm a massive business nerd. yeah because i'm a massive business nerd and, yeah. and that's why i did it um but the word doctors on our course on my course um you know oh, that nice. want to go more into investing and you know, there's modules like entrepreneurial finance. And I think also for those for those doctors and medical professionals was that they got to interact with other people in finance. So, you know, there was probably five of us that were either private equity or VC background. Hmm. So they, you know, their network is immediate, you know, yeah. easily got someone to call and talk through. And I also say for medical professionals, because you've got that sector specialism, assuming you want to go into VC and in med tech or health tech or whatever it might be, hmm. you know, then the MBA is probably pretty good for you guys because yeah. you can, or people of that background, because it, it, it gives you a few more of the tools and it shows that you've got a desire to make that transition. Um, so I think an MBA can be really, really good for those reasons for somebody from a medical professional wanting to change. No, definitely. But not words. <laughs> yeah. And I think medics by nature that we've always had a path laid out for us, like you mentioned early on. And, MBA, it's an academic type thing. It just felt like a natural enterprise, and then you do that, and then you go secure kind of a lucrative something better than you know what the day to day is. One of the questions we had was: medics and clinicians work long hours. Is that the case for VC? You know, I know you don't have to do weekends and nights, but what's the reality of it all? Sorry, who said I didn't have to do weekends and nights? That's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, uh, yeah, that doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, we, at Octopus, we tried to build a culture here um, such that, 
people are we have very flexible working so we have fully flexible working before it became a thing okay flexible working you know if you're working on a deal till one o'clock in the morning which doesn't happen very often to be quite honest it's not like the movies you know and the next morning you need to take a couple of hours to recover you can do that and you're given you know like you're just trusted as a grown-up to do the yeah. right thing you know yeah. to get your work done um no, that's not like it in every investment firm. I can yeah. only say that's my experience at Octopus. You know, that if I want to take, we, we don't have holiday allowance. We just have take what holiday you want. So it's like a flexible holiday thing. So oh, wow. if I've worked really hard for, you know, if I've done 40 hours in four days and I want to take Friday off and that works to, you know, spend time with my kids, then no one's going to say anything as long as mm. I'm, you know, different when you're kind of starting your career. You know, you, you probably. Yeah being more available but certainly we, we try and act like uh, treat everyone like grown-ups and, and 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 that but you know there's it's there's no doubt there are times you have to work really really hard you know if you've yeah. got a company that's about to run out of money and you're that under, yeah guess what you might need to work the weekend to get the investment paper done because otherwise <laughs> yeah 60 people are going to be laid off and they're not going to you know because you had to because uh, you wanted to have your weekends i don't know playing golf or whatever yeah. that's well with those people um, but hopefully that happens rarely. Amazing. The other question, people are always umming and ahhing about when they're being on VCs and it's, they describe it as this kind of this dragon, you know, breathing down your neck, right? And you lose a degree of autonomy. You don't have the freedom you would have had if you're bootstrapped. And I get sometimes you need the fund to grow and scale. What is the reality of it? Because I know a lot of founders who speak to, they're like, oh, do you know what? I don't want to be told what to do. I don't want to lose my autonomy. I don't want to lose the vision I have. How imposed is a VC or, you know, how is Octopus? I mean, you're, you're ultimately backing founders. Hmm. So like, if you want to, if you want to, you know, if you're breathing down someone's neck too much and giving away the autonomy, then well, like, what's the point of backing the founder? Yeah. You, you, you're just kind of, you're basically cutting the legs off your investment. <laughs> you've, <laughs> so, I, you know, what I hope um, and it, it is that we try and act more like partners. Hmm. So as I said, we have our own talent team here. So if you want to talk about organizational structures or compensation schemes, or you need to hire a chairperson or whatever, you've, you've got us as a resource. You know, you want to help build sales teams or you want to build um, go-to-market strategies or, or, or look at branding propositions. I mean, anything you can imagine that you're in need for a small business, yeah. we've done it multiple times already and you don't have to do it alone. Nice. Um, I mean, things do... It's not to say that things don't get tricky. I mean, if you're a company that's running out of money and we're your investors and, and we're your last resort or whatever, then you're going to want to say in how that business is going is going to be going forward. But, you know, companies that are successful, it's like, here, go, go guys, just, you know, do make it work and, and, and run as fast as you can. So I'd like to think that in 99.9% in, in .9 of the situations that we're not breathing down people's neck, we're giving them the tools in order for them mm. to be successful and being boards and sharing our experience that you know i appreciate that's not everyone's experience of yeah yeah there's an amazing stat uh which i'll just make up so i don't this is not I, i've got it written down somewhere but i'm going to make it up for the purpose yeah. of this i'll say yeah i deny that i said it um but it's something like you know the majority of um vcs the vast majority of vcs believe they add significant value over and above the funding they provide okay and <laughs> The majority, the vast majority of startups that are VC backed believe the VC added no value whatsoever, oh. <laughs> other than the money it provided. Yeah, you know, there is a, there's clearly a disconnect. There. There's For clearly sure. just, that's what the stats say, unfortunately. 
But I'm, I'm hoping that Octopus is on the right side of that. And we certainly spend a lot of time and effort and say have dedicated teams to help our companies in order to, to be on the right side of that. So I, I appreciate it's not every founder's experience, but I hope most Octopus backed companies would say it's theirs. Yeah, amazing. No, I definitely could sense the vibes and, you know, from what I've seen online, yeah. Off of the back of that question, actually, so on your LinkedIn about section, I read that you're also an occasional angel investor. Now, I want to ask you, how does, when you're wearing two different hats now, your VC hat and your angel investment hat, how do they differ and how are they similar? Yeah, I mean, I, so I don't do much angel investing at the moment um, just because what well, it's too time consuming, is mm. the truth. Um, <laughs> and also because we're quite conflicted. So, you know, anything that I invest in personally, you know, can't be of interest to Octopus. And because Octopus is so big yeah, and yeah. so broad now, like it, it, it's, it's hard because we don't want to have any conflicts of interest. You don't want to go down that, that mm. line. Mm. And, and we're really, really careful about it. But also, as I say, because quite honestly, is you don't want to take an angel investor that can't add value to you. Yeah. Yes. You know, so my angel, you know, what can I help with? I can help with like financial modeling, connections, but I'm doing my J job. So it's quite hard for me to give up too much time. And I was finding that when I was doing angel investing, I wasn't being good enough at it. Mm. I wasn't being a good enough investor to the people I was backing because I didn't have the time. Um, so, you know, that's why I'm trying to put all my focus into my day job and, and, yeah. and, and invest there where I can help my portfolio companies and, and dedicate my time to it. So for founders who are looking for angel investors, just some advice now, because you've taken a step back because you said you couldn't provide enough value. Is it that founders, when they're looking for a team of angels, we should be looking for the people who've got, it's not just the capital, it's where else their skills lie. Is that what we're looking to sort of get together? I think so, yeah. I mean, you know, that's the, that's the dream is to find a group of angels that can actually add value. And that's really where, um, you know, our early stage venture fund started from, which mm. was actually we, we were, were more like a syndicate of angel investors alongside us that could add value to the companies that we backed. And that worked really well in the early days. And um, ultimately, if ultimately if you just need capital and you've only got one angel and they're not going to add any value, but you need the yeah. capital, you're probably going to take it. Yeah. <laughs> but if you've got multiple angels, you start to try and be selective over who, and you should try and find angels that are going to say, right, if you, if you guys... <laughs> If, if a company is like, actually, it's, it's finance that I'm really struggling with, then try and find an angel that can bring that finance skill set, mm. you know, to your, to your business. Um, but I guess, you know, the truth is a lot, that's the kind of theory. A lot of the time it's just like, hey, somebody's interested on business, I'm going to give us yeah. you know, 20, 20 grand or whatever. It's like, just take it, just take it. Um, so, you know. No, definitely. Um, <clears throat> I'm conscious of time. The, the last question is... For people that are looking to kind of step out of, let's say, a career in medicine, looking to enter the world of VC, what advice would you give to them? You know, what are the first few steps? What can they do to kind of, you know, medics were like super driven, you know, that type A personality. We need that checklist type thing. So like, what are the things they can do to really get a, 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 a job in VC? Yeah, I, you know, this the, the, inside of me, I'm saying, please don't do it. You know, I need people, you know, <laughs> we need people to take care of us. And, I know. <laughs> I think I think that's, uh, you know just uh, incredibly you know to have that level of smart and uh, and empathy and all the rest of it you know um, but I you know that's a very selfish point of view because uh, you know everyone's got to follow their own path yeah um, 
Um, so I would say, you know, first of all, be tenacious, um, but persevere. So realize that it's it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be quick and you're going to have to figure it out. Um, so I would say get involved in the ecosystem. There's loads of health tech conferences. There's lots of NHS, parts of the NHS organizations, mm. NHSX and yeah. um, the other one. Uh, that I know, but you know, there's there's a number of places within the NHS, but also within the wider tech community that are focused on health right now. It's massive at the moment. You know, become become interested in it. Yeah. You know? Um, and start to blog about it. Start to write about it. Start to talk about things that interest you and and why interest you. If you've got, not everyone has the means, but if you've got a bit of capital, you know, even a few thousand pounds that you can invest on SEIS, you know, take a few risks with your own money and yeah, and make a few early stage investments yourself. You know. SEIS scheme is unbelievably generous that we've yeah. got in the UK. Like, you invest, yeah, ten thousand pounds, you get five thousand back immediately in tax relief, and then if you lose the other five thousand, you get that back in loss relief. So, <sighs> you know, it is generous. By the way, I, uh, I just a caveat: this is not a, not a financial advice. advice. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. Definitely not. Well, it's down. Yeah, uh, it remains extremely high risk. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully, that comes off the. Um, but yeah, no, look, the, I think just getting yourself involved and getting yourself into that ecosystem and, and, and not expecting it to be quick. Yeah. But that is what I would, I would probably say. No, um, definitely. Also do, like you can do, it's not going to do you any harm to spend a bit of time doing things like online financial modeling courses. Yeah. Mm. Understanding what the key KPIs are that these look for. You know, there's tons and tons of resource online um, that can bring yourself up to speed, but you're going to have to, you're going to have to dedicate yourself to it. No one's going to hand it to you. Absolutely, definitely. I think that's great advice. And that's practical advice as well, actually. And I think one of the reasons perhaps why you've come so far and done so well in your career was you are willing to kind of take the step down to get onto the right ladder until you found the one that was most aligned with you and then you climbed it. And I think a lot of people may not necessarily do that. They may be in a senior position at a senior, you know, a certain salary, stepping down or going into a junior role a lot of people don't like that whereas for you you, you were happy to kind of do that um, so that's what kind of stood out as well for me in this conversation yeah, i think that's a really really good point like Absolutely. if you if you truly want to do this you know i mean it's like if you get it right you know vc can be a really lucrative career doesn't you know there's no doubt about it if you get it right and goes well and you, you stick yeah. at it, it it can be but in the early days you know i took a pay cut and multiple times yeah um you know when we put like an analyst or an associate position out people in investment banking you know, they're, they're getting earning really good money. We'll, yeah. we'll take big pay cuts in order to get on the right ladder. Yeah. So that's the, that, that is what you're competing with a little bit. I mean, it sounds like we underpay people here if we don't. Yeah, I think it's important you mentioned that. And, and I think it was nice to have someone seasoned that has been doing it for many years kind of share that. And I think... Yeah, I'm sure you know social media is like overnight success everyone got to where they are now without any struggle even you know the, your dyslexia the blog you shared openly and frankly was nice to read and see because um, a lot of people do hide kind of the struggles and difficulty um, so no, I do appreciate that Edward for even taking the time out to have a chat with us today as well Absolutely. yeah no worries I, I'd say you know my it was over from the moment I decided I wanted to be VC to what I would say truly became a VC what I would class as a VC it was was about a decade. So yeah. to give to give you an idea wow. of my journey. So um maybe that's more of a reflection of me than it is of the career path. But <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. 
we've all got our own journey, don't we? No, I think we do. We all have that squiggly career, like they like to call it. But um, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show, Edward. Um, and a massive thank you to our listeners as well, as always. No worries. Thanks, guys.